This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, August 26th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. America loses a towering figure in politics. Republican war hero John McCain dies after a 13-month battle with brain cancer, surrounded by friends and family. As the 81-year-old decorated Vietnam veteran, torture survivor, two-time presidential candidate, and maverick politician left his Arizona ranch for the last time, condolences poured in. Some lives are so vivid, it is difficult to imagine them ended, President George W. Bush wrote. From President Obama, few of us have been tested the way John once was or required to show the kind of courage that he did. We'll hear remembrances from McCain's friends and Senate colleagues, Arizona Republican Jeff Flake and Illinois Democrat Dick Durbin. McCain set a record on our broadcast with 112 appearances on Face the Nation. I'm sorry. Thank you, Senator. We've run uh, out of time. I had more to say. <laughs> our Bob Schieffer and John Dickerson reflect on a political giant. Plus, thoughts from Secretary John Kerry, a Democrat who once considered asking McCain to be his running mate. You know, we kind of flirted, but didn't go on a date. <laughs> All of that and stories from some of the journalists who knew him best. Coming up on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. There has been an outpouring of emotion following the death of John McCain. CBS News Chief Congressional Correspondent Nancy Cordes is in Sedona, Arizona, near the McCain family home. Nancy, what are the plans to honor the senator's life? Good morning, Margaret. Well, as you can see, constituents and neighbors have already come by with flowers and flags as a farewell gesture, and the entire state will have a chance to say goodbye when McCain lies in state at the Arizona Capitol building later this week. He'll be eulogized by former Vice President Joe Biden and other close friends at a service in Phoenix. And then his body will be taken to Washington, where he will lie in state at the U.S. Capitol, where he served for 36 years. There will also be a service at the National Cathedral. McCain never got tired of joking with that trademark self-deprecation that he finished fifth from the bottom of his class at the U.S. Naval Academy. And he has asked to be buried there in Annapolis, Maryland, near the grave of a close friend. Margaret. Nancy, thank you. In the more than six-decade history of Face the Nation, John McCain was our most frequent guest, and Bob Schieffer conducted most of those interviews. Bob offers us this appreciation of the life of John McCain. Americans first came to know John McCain as a Navy pilot shot down in 1967 over North Vietnam. As a prisoner of war, his captors tortured him for five and a half years. When they learned he was a famous admiral's son, they tried to release him for propaganda purposes. But he refused to go until the other prisoners were freed. It was such courage that marked his long political life. Through two presidential campaigns and decades in the Senate, he became one of the best-known politicians in America and was never afraid to cross party lines. Independents, Democrats, Libertarians, Vegetarians, come on over, vote for me! In 1985, he made his first appearance on Face the Nation. Joining us are Arizona Congressman John McCain. By 2008, he had set a record for the most appearances on the broadcast. Welcome John McCain to his 65th appearance oh my God. on Face the Nation. <laughs> McCain set the record on the Sunday after winning the Republican presidential nomination with what may have been 
the most unusual strategy in political history. We lost the trust of the American people when some Republicans gave in to the temptations of corruption. He told the nominating convention his party had lost its way and was part of the country's problem. We came to power to change Washington, and Washington changed us. The general election campaign proved to be as unusual as his fight for the Republican nomination. Frankly, At one point, he found scared. himself defending uh, his opponent, of, Barack Obama Obama's president. honor. He is a decent person. After a person supporter called Obama Arab. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma he's, a, he's, a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues, and that's what this campaign is all about. McCain hoped to win the presidency by attracting independent swing voters. To do that, he toyed with making independent Democrat Joe Lieberman his running mate. Advisors talked him out of it. The next vice president of the United States. Instead, they recommended little-known Alaska Governor Sarah Palin. You can actually see Russia from land here in Alaska. Her gaff-prone campaign ended whatever chance he had to win independence. Add on to that a bad economy, and he lost in a landslide. McCain got over it by plunging into his work in the Senate, where he championed causes large and small, sometimes causes his own party wanted no part of. It was former prisoner of war McCain, who took on many Republicans to declare America could never condone torture even against our worst enemies. It's not about them. It's about us. It's about us. What we were, what we are, and what we, and what we should be. And that's a nation that does not engage in these kinds of, of violations of the fundamental basic human rights that we guaranteed when we declared our independence. He's not a war hero. Americans were shocked during the 2016 campaign when Republican candidate Donald Trump attacked McCain, saying... He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured. McCain stayed above the fray during the controversy that ensued, but his relationship with Trump was never warm. And he was the deciding vote that killed the new president's plan to repeal Obamacare. For McCain, it was always about the issues, seldom about who sided with him. He could be the Senate's fiercest critic. We're getting nothing done, my friends. We're getting nothing done. But he loved the place, respected its rules, and maintained friendships with his toughest opponents, like the late Democratic senator, Ted Kennedy. Oh, we had some of the great bouts, and yet I remember one time we had a huge fight that uh, two freshmen had begun, and we drove them from the floor, and afterwards we were walking off the floor, and he put his arm around me, and he said, we really did a good that one that time, didn't we, John? When he and Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer were working to find a compromise on immigration, I remarked it was the first time they had appeared on the Face the Nation set together. What I didn't say was that it was McCain who had convinced Schumer to cancel travel plans and stay in Washington to show solidarity. When Hillary Clinton called him her favorite Republican as she was preparing to run for president, I asked I McCain ask the you, obvious uh, question. I hope is she this, your favorite Democrat? <laughs> actually, I hope this program is blacked out in Arizona. Please <laughs> cut. No, uh, <laughs> look, I, I respect uh, Se uh, Secretary Senator Clinton. I respect her views. We have had disagreements on a number of issues. Uh, but it, I think it's my job to work with every president if she is, uh, regrettably, if she, be, if she attains the presidency. As chairman of the Armed Services Committee, McCain flew to battlefields and trouble spots around the world. When Ukraine became dangerous, I questioned his decision to go to Kiev. I know you think you're bulletproof, but do you feel safe there, Senator? Uh, I always feel safe, Bob. I, I, I told you in the past, I know that I'm going to die, but it's only going to be in bed. I always felt John McCain had no more fear of death than he had of taking on an uphill political fight. And to the end, he fought every fight with every ounce of energy that time allowed. And he was still fighting when time ran out. I'm sorry. Thank you, Senator. We've run uh, out of time. I had more to say. <laughs>
So John McCain's voice is stilled, but how he lived his life will always speak volumes about service to our country, our obligation to others, and most of all, about having the courage, no matter the consequences, to stand up for what we believe is right. John McCain appeared on Face the Nation 112 times. This is Bob Schieffer. A fitting tribute from Bob Schieffer. We're joined now by John McCain's fellow senator from Arizona, Jeff Flake, who joins us from Phoenix. Senator Flake served with McCain in Congress for 17 years and called him both a friend and a mentor. Senator McCain spent some 40 years in the U.S. Congress. Uh, Senator Flake, how would you describe his impact on American politics? Oh, it's nothing short of huge. Um, he uh, uh, had an outsized impact on Congress entire, his entire time there, um, particularly in the last uh, uh, several years. He uh, was the conscience of the Senate. He really was. And so I, I don't think you can uh, overstate the importance or impact of his uh, impact on the body. I know you saw him just a, a day or so ago. Uh, what was that like for you? Well, to be there with the family as they uh, uh, were, were with him right near the end was just a, a, a privilege. And uh, to, to thank him, um, I don't know how much he, he could uh, appreciate at that point, but to thank him for especially speaking out uh, in this last year when we needed his voice the most. And I thanked his family for such good care in allowing him and helping him uh, to speak out when we needed to hear his voice. You've called McCain the conscious, conscience of the Senate. Um, and in many ways, you've taken up some of his mantle of being a straight talker. But you're retiring. Who becomes that voice for America now? Oh, I, I think that there will be people who are there and who others who will rise up. One of the last long conversations I had with John was a few months ago, uh, sitting there watching uh, the Oak Creek roll by, and he expressed uh, such admiration for Arizona leaders in the past who stood up. These uh, iconoclastic, uh, you know, Arizona figures like Goldwater and Mo Udall and and others, and uh, and he expressed at that time his optimism that others would come to the fore, that at some point the voters would value. Uh, people who can govern and who reach across the aisle and see good in their opponents. And so uh, I think that that's uh, certainly his legacy. And uh, I, I do believe that others will stand up. Well, along with that idea, I mean, the senator has had asked two of the men who defeated him in his bids for the presidency, uh, Barack Obama and George W. Bush, to speak at his funeral. President Trump notably will not be participating what does that signify to you? Well, it says uh, all you need to know about John McCain, that uh, the two, you know, these were bitter contests, uh, both of them, and uh, to ask them to speak at your funeral and for them to be uh, honored uh, at, the, at the opportunity, uh, that tells you all you need to know. He was quick to forgive, uh, certainly uh, uh, put the, the good of the country above himself, and um, the fact that his his former opponents will be there speaking, uh, says all we need to know. Do you see any glimpse of the kind of bipartisan spirit that, that you talked about McCain having, his ability to reach across the aisle, coming to the fore now? I mean, one of the things that Senator McCain wrote about in his most recent memoir was his frustration, his regret, that things like immigration reform were just not possible. Right. Yes, I mean, we're going to have to, put it that way. Uh, the Senate is structured in a way that you have to reach across the aisle. I think that's why John McCain enjoyed the Senate so much. It forced that kind of compromise. Uh, but lately, uh, you know, we've, we've done our best, frankly, to, to, to make it a partisan body. Uh, so it, it has to change. Uh, there's no other way. Uh, we, we need to govern. There are some big issues that we need to solve that can only be solved if we reach across the aisle. I hope that we do it in the tradition of John McCain. He never shied away uh, from the tough issues. Let me tell you, uh, coming from Arizona, uh, immigration is something that, mm -hmm. uh, that is polarizing and, and difficult, uh, but he dug right in. And uh, I, I participated with him in the so-called Gang of Eight, those negotiations in 2013. 
uh, he led those negotiations. He knew that it was something that needed to be done, and it could only be done on a bipartisan basis. Uh, that's going to apply to a number of issues going forward. So I don't think we have a choice but to go that direction. You know, top Democrat Chuck Schumer says he's going to introduce a resolution to rename the Russell Office Building, a, a building named after a senator who often opposed civil, civil rights, and rename it for John McCain. Do you think that that is a fitting tribute? What What is the tribute you would look for? Well, that I want to be the first Republican co-sponsor uh, for that resolution. Uh, I think that that would be a fitting tribute. Uh, there are many other things that, that we need to do. Uh, but that's a good one. Uh, John McCain uh, had his office just right near mine in the Russell building. That's where he was his entire time. Uh, I think that that's a fitting tribute. John McCain's longtime aide, his, his co-writer, Mark Salter, uh, has a very touching uh, eulogy to the senator today. Uh, I want to read a line from it for you. He said, McCain was a romantic about his causes and a cynic about the world but he thought it a moral failure to accept injustice as the inescapable tragedy of our fallen nature. What does that make you think? Of? I think that's, well, I mean, that's, that's John. Uh, he was passionate. He was passionate about American leadership. Uh, he wasn't willing to accept that people anywhere on the globe uh, could live in a situation where they had no chance for freedom. Uh, that's why he was never apologetic about our values and our involvement in the world. So that says a lot about John, uh, and he, uh, he lived that uh, right till the end. Uh, he, he was always passionate about America and its leadership in the world. Senator, I know this is a difficult morning for you, and you are feeling the loss, so we thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. We'll be back in one minute with a lot more Face the Nation, so don't go away. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading. And so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com slash save for 40% off. Legacybox.com slash save. We're back with Illinois Senator Dick Durbin, the number two Democrat in the Senate and a longtime colleague of John McCain's. He joins us from Whitewater, Wisconsin this morning. Senator, thank you for joining us. How would you describe John McCain's impact on American politics? Well, he always had a, a voice of clarity and vision and courage. But I remember those moments of uncommon decency, which is uh, unfortunately in short supply on the American political scene. Uh, I can recall when he rose to the defense of Barack Obama at a moment in the campaign when very few expected him to. Contrast that with what we went through in the locker-up chance of the last election. I can remember when John spoke out clearly against the white supremacists uh, in Virginia uh, and made it clear that he considered them to be cowards. And I can remember when he stood up for the issue of immigration, not an easy issue for anybody, certainly not a conservative Republican from Arizona. We spent six months together negotiating a bipartisan, comprehensive bill, four Democrats, four Republicans. John was our leader, and we knew with him in charge we were going to finish the job right. Well, you heard uh, Senator Flake also reference those efforts to get immigration done, and we know Senator McCain says it was one of his great regrets that that effort failed. And in his memoir, I want to read you this because it, it, it really kind of speaks to his maverick reputation. He says, to get immigration reform done, either Democrats need to retake the House or Republican leaders break and bring a bill to the floor for a vote that offends the Freedom Caucus. Is that what it would take to get immigration reform done? Well, I hope not, because John McCain used to say to me uh, personally and to Republicans especially, 
look to the future. This is a very diverse nation. If the Republican Party is going to have a future in places like the southwest of our nation, we better be attentive to the needs of uh, immigration. Sure, we need border security and we don't want dangerous people in the United States, but let's have a sensible, rational plan instead of this mess of laws that we have on immigration. John used to call the meetings of this uh, gang of eight, and you never knew quite what you'd run into in his office. There'd be that time when he'd blow his top and get that steely look in his eye, and, and you'd think to yourself, I don't want to be around this Navy fighter pilot for a moment <laughs> or two. Then he'd calm down, and the next thing we know, we're moving into an area of agreement. Um, he was widely respected, but he knew what the goal was. The goal was to make this a better nation. But he also was very, very frustrated in that return he, he made to the, the Senate floor uh, right after his diagnosis. Uh, he, he said that Congress is getting nothing done for the American people. Do you see any spark of bipartisanship that comes from his passing? Well, I can tell you that there are possibilities, glimmers of hope uh, within the Senate now. I'm just hoping that both sides of the aisle will take inspiration from John's life and message. I made a point of staying on the floor and heard him deliver that. And I will tell you, Margaret, I've seen a lot of votes in the House and the Senate. The one that sticks in my mind was after 2 a.m. in the morning when John McCain came through those doors into the Senate chamber, just leaving a phone call from the President of the United States. He walked up to that table and he could barely move his arm because of the injuries he'd suffered during Vietnam and he pushed his thumb down and said no. And with that courageous no vote, he saved the health insurance for millions of Americans. It was a kind of political courage that isn't displayed very often. I hope it's displayed more in his memory. Well, we know that moment certainly stuck in the mind of President Trump. Um, we know that the president will not be part of the tribute to Senator McCain. What does that signify to you? The president has disrespected many people, but when he disrespected John McCain and the other prisoners of war, it was a moment I, I'll never forget. Uh, and John handled it with such class. He could have roared back at this president and turned the veterans of the United States uh, against the president, but he was very quiet about it. And I think he knew that uh, the enduring legacy of his service to our country, along with so many other veterans, uh, was going to prevail over those harsh and nasty words by President Trump. Do you see anyone trying to block this effort that Senator Schumer says he wants to launch to rename the Russell Building after Senator McCain? Any Republicans? I certainly don't. Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. Can't speak for the Republican side of the aisle. But I heard Jeff Flake earlier, and uh, Jeff, uh, another worthy uh, representative of the state of Arizona. Uh, I am sure that uh, he and I and many others can make this a bipartisan effort. But even more important than naming a building, and that is important, and I agree with Senator Schumer, even more important is that we remember what John, Cain's me John McCain's message was to us. Do something for America. You're elected to solve problems. Tackle the tough issues and be fair and decent when you do. That was what I heard on the floor of the Senate, and that, I hope, is the enduring legacy of McCain's service. You said there are sparks of hope. We'll wait and see what that actually results in. Um, but I want to ask you the same question that I put to Senator Flake, which was, you know, who is the voice? Who is the conscience of the Senate now? I don't know that it's any one person. And, uh, you know, John stood out from so many of us because of his extraordinary service to our country, risking his life five and a half years in the POW camp, service in the House and in the Senate, and just the way he conducted himself. But each and every one of us have to play that role uh, in his memory. Uh, I'm not sure there's one person that's going to grab the banner mm -hmm. and move forward. Yeah. But if we take a lesson from his life and his public life, we can make a difference. Senator Durbin, thank you. We'll be back in a moment. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com.
Let's take a moment to hear from John McCain in his own words from his recent book, The Restless Wave. The world is a fine place and worth the fighting for, and I hate very much to leave it, spoke my hero Robert Jordan and for whom the bell tolls. And I do too. I hate to leave it, but I don't have a complaint, not one. It's been quite a ride. I've known great passions, seen amazing wonders, fought in a war, and helped make a peace. I've lived very well, and I've been deprived of all comforts. I've been as lonely as a person can be, and I've enjoyed the company of heroes. I've suffered the deepest despair and experienced the highest exaltation. I made a small place for myself in the story of America and the history of my times. Perhaps one of the most surprising enterprises for a former prisoner of war in Vietnam were Senator John McCain's efforts to make peace there and his partnership with a fellow veteran and protester of that war, Massachusetts Democratic Senator John Kerry. Kerry writes about it in his upcoming memoir, Every Day is Extra. I write a lot about John McCain and my journey uh, in reaching back to Vietnam because that story is a story of keeping faith with soldiers it's a story of keeping faith with the American people, but it's also a story of two guys who had a different point of view about a major event in American history who found a way to come together. So a POW and a protester mm -hmm. found a way to be able to make the system work and to work together and find common ground. What's happening in the country and the notion that my journey, I believe, is relevant to how we try to fix our country, how, you know, you can't, you don't just speak out, which I did quite forcefully, but you work to implement our democracy by uh, reaching out across the aisle, by building relationships, by believing in the better angels of American value system. And I think John McCain did that. It's the journey we all went through, where Vietnam tore the country apart. John McCain and I had differences in how we found each other's common ground on an airplane flying to Kuwait. You said that was one of the most consequential conversations of your entire career in Absolutely. Congress. Absolutely. Why? Well, because it resulted in this partnership, which sometimes had tensions, but which got things done. You say at one point you even considered, played with the idea at least, of well, we partnering with him We as sat a down and talked, but uh, there were difficult issues to try to work out. You know, we kind of flirted, but didn't go on a date. <laughs> He's an incredibly courageous and strong individual. He's a very special, uh, very special patriot. We'll hear more from former Senator Kerry about his book, Every Day's Extra, next Sunday on Face the Nation and CBS Sunday Morning. We'll be right back. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. My predecessor at this desk interviewed John McCain not just for this broadcast, but he spent hours one-on-one -on -one with candidate McCain as a reporter when he was on the Straight Talk Express back in 2000. Joining us now from Chicago is, of course, John Dickerson. John, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, I, I know you spent so Great many... Great to be with you, Margaret. You spent so many hours w with the senator. What was it like to be part of that campaign? 
Well, you know, the campaign was the message of the McCain presidency. He started out, as he said, so low in the polls that with the margin of error, he might actually have been in negative territory. <laughs> and he's, a, you know, he's famous and being lauded now. But back then, he was he didn't have a shot. He was running against the establishment of his party. Uh, he was running against George W. Bush, who had all the money and all the endorsements. Uh, but what McCain basically said is Washington is corrupt. There is too much money in Washington. And my campaign, by taking on the establishment, will show you what's possible in Washington, uh, where we can break down the fact that money has influence on all pieces of legislation. And it's kind of extraordinary to think back about that. He was in the Senate, and he was essentially saying that all of his colleagues were corrupt and that he himself had been corrupted by money. The fact that he then was able to take that long shot campaign through was evidence that his message could work and was paying off with, with the voters. And as you say, and I know you've written about this, that the senator was upfront about his own flaws. It wasn't something he tried to hide. He was. And this was something that when, you know, in the, I don't know, millions of interviews I must have done with town hall, uh, people who went to his town halls, over 114 of them, I believe, uh, in New Hampshire in 2000, and then again, in, he did the same thing in 2008. Uh, he would be very frank about his failings. The Keating Five uh, being caught up in a campaign finance scandal um, was in part what motivated him to be so uh, ferocious about trying to get money out of politics. And his, this is why when, when people talk about his character and his discipline and his honor, it is a durable kind of, uh, of character. In other words, it has scuff marks. It has been out in the real world. It's not encased in some glass case uh, and unreal. He failed a lot. He talked about his failures. Uh, he beat him up himself up about his failures. And even when he was off course, he was often trying to get back on course, uh, which is why so many people looked at his life on the campaign trail and thought this is a model for the way politicians should behave, but also the way we should behave. And reporters spend so many hours with candidates, as I know you did, some of them off the record. I, I know you've said that you sometimes had to sort of guide the senator to go off the record because he was so uh, colorful in some of his storytelling. Well, you know, one of the things, uh, and, and, his, and his candor got himself into, got him in trouble in 2000, some of the days you'd be in conversation with him over nine hours. Um, and so that he would, this was, of course, in the pre sort of Internet, everything is covered every second kind of way. And for, in the service of trying to make a larger point, he would sometimes shorthand things uh, in ways that wouldn't make, that wouldn't look good if you spliced the comment. Um, but, you know, what, what got through to voters when they saw him, uh, curious about this person, he was a celebrity candidate, a celebrity candidate not since Ronald Reagan that we'd seen in 2000, but it was celebrity that had behind it this durable thing. And the thing that was durable is what had sustained him for five and a half years in a dark box. It wasn't just running on his gaudy name. He was running on a set of values. And when he talked about it, he talked about the people he'd served with. He talked about the connection of their duty, honor, and service in very difficult times and connected it to real-life Americans at the moment. And then he said this to his audience. He said, there are still great causes. Whenever there's a person who's poor, that's a great cause. Whenever there's an old person who lacks uh, insurance or lacks hope, that is a great cause. And he was trying basically to make this transaction to say, the things that allowed me to get through those five and a half years of torture and giving up uh, the right to be released early, what got me through that can still sustain you now. And that's what made people stand up and applaud for those ideas, even if they disagreed with him, which they often did in those uh, town halls. And yet at the end of his career, uh, he, he was still a maverick, uh, going toe-to-toe -to -toe sometimes with President Trump, the head of his own party. Do you see any voice out there like McCain's right now who's willing to take the chances you describe? In the conversations I've had uh, since his passing, there are a lot of Republicans, a lot of people who think that this is not just the dying of a Senate icon, but the dying of a set of principles. But I think McCain, McCain would argue against that. Uh, and you argue we should just note the way he used to sometimes go after this legislation was the way he used to box at the Naval Academy. They would said he would just run into the middle of the ring and start throwing punches. <laughs> uh, and he, uh, you know, sometimes that worked and sometimes he got knocked on his behind. But the always getting up is the key thing in McCain. But in terms of whether that still exists, I think his argument would be 
All he did was plug his life into a set of American values that have been with the country since its founding. The idea of self-sacrifice. When he got out of prison, he didn't talk about his great deeds. He talked about the deeds of all around him. Not taking credit for yourself, recognizing the dignity in other people, recognizing even if somebody is in another party, they're still human beings. All of those things are available to all Americans. And while John McCain had a life trying to follow those and sometimes falling them short, everybody can plug into that. That would be his message. So while there may not be one person, I think his argument would be there are a whole nation full of people who have all of those same qualities that they can grab a hold of and live a life that might measure up at the end of it the way people are saying John McCain's did. The better angels still live. Thank you very much, John Dickerson. We will be right back to hear Thanks, more Martha. from some journalists who also knew and covered John McCain throughout his Senate career. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. For our political panel this morning, we've gathered three writers from the hometown paper, so to speak, here in the nation's capital, the Washington Post, to talk about Senator John McCain. Dan Balls is the chief correspondent covering national politics, the presidency, and Congress. Michael Gerzen is a nationally syndicated columnist. And columnist Karen Temelty wrote the paper's lead story this morning on the life of John McCain. And Karen, I know you'd been working on this for some time. You had amazing anecdotes in there. Uh, one that stood out to me was McCain as a child, you said. He had such stubbornness. He once held his breath until he almost passed out. He actually did pass out. Uh, I think his personality became clear very early, and he would have these tantrums where he would hold his breath until he passed out. And his mother went to a Navy doctor who said, next time that happens, just take him fully clothed and drop him in a tub of cold water. So that's how she would deal with it. I don't think it worked. I don't, I don't think that, that really changed the, the character. Um, you know, John Dickerson, our colleague there, was sharing uh, what he had heard, which was last night in Arizona as the senator's body was being taken from his home. There were people just gathered on the side of the road saluting him uh, one last time, sort of an informal tribute to John McCain. Mm -hmm. um, Dan, it, you know, we talk a lot about the sparring he's doing with the current president, mm -hmm. but there is still that deep respect that is coming there. And you saw last night in Arizona. I think you're seeing it everywhere. I mean, not and not just from politicians and the kinds of statements that we're hearing from from everyone who's had their life touched by John McCain. I got an email from a friend this morning who's up in upstate New York who was at a diner for breakfast and people were talking about McCain there uh, and what a patriot he was. So, I mean, I think his impact goes way beyond just the pure political system. I think people look at him for what he was, which was a patriot and an American. And I think that that set of values uh, is something that I think people find in short supply today. And they look at McCain's life and his example and they think, we, we need more of that. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of desperation in some of this that we don't have it in as much as we need. This is a time when we need heroes and this is a hero passing from the scene. So I think there's a bittersweet element to this. He was the polar opposite to the president on many things um, and really played that role. I also think that what we're seeing here is the passing of a generation when it was expected that our national leaders would have early in their lives served. And, uh, you know, John McCain is, is one of the last of that breed, too. Yeah. 
you heard John Dickerson say that some Republicans he had talked to referred to this as the dying of a principle, not just the dying of a patriot, but that McCain would have rejected that description. What do you make of that? I think he would have rejected it. Um, I think he, he viewed America in a certain way, through a certain lens, as a place of ideals and principles, not just a land, not just a piece of property, but the carrier of a human ideal. Um, and this is what he talked about, the reason he was critical of a lot of current foreign policy was, you know, he, he was a voice for oppressed people around the world. He could have just been a, a hawk you know, uh, and a defense hawk as a senator. And he spoke up for the people of Vietnam. He spoke up for the people around Asia who knew his name from Radio Asia. This is someone who cares about me. Um, and that was really a, a great role that he played about, you know, extending American values. It was certainly a role he put himself in in the past year since the election of President Trump. I, I'm thinking of him going to the Munich Security Conference and standing up in front of European allies despite being, you know, not feeling well and saying basically, don't, don't forget us and I'm going to stand up for Western values. America is still here. Who is that voice now? I think it remains to be seen who that voice is, but I also think it is much more difficult to do what John McCain has done throughout his life in the current era we're in. I mean, one of the things I think his passing represents is the passing of a certain era. I mean, he operated at a time when not he had he had principles that he lived in ways that other politicians didn't, and yet at the same time, there was a greater acceptance of the kinds of ambitions and values that he was trying to represent, i.e. working across party lines to get things done, recognizing that compromise is a way to get progress, uh, an ability to have fights with people and move on. Um, and it, we're, we're in a different time. It is a much more, as we've talked a lot about, it's a much more poisonous time politically. Um, I think that, that Senator McCain's passing reminds us of how difficult it will be for someone to step into those shoes. And Karen, the president is not part of this tribute, and that was a choice being made by the McCain family. What do you make of that? Um, I think that the this president and John McCain are just polar opposites in so many ways. And one thing is in the, the sort of code of honor with which John McCain lived. It was it both defined him and it haunted him. The lowest moments of his life were when he betrayed his own principles. When he in Vietnam, it wasn't being beaten and having his arms broken, but it was signing a forced confession, vague, that admitted to black crimes. To him, that was the single low moment. And I think we don't see, you know, Donald Trump prides himself on never apologizing for anything, never looking back. That is the exact opposite of John McCain, who was always sort of trying to perfect himself to the point where he could live up to his own code of honor. You wrote about that saying it was he it pained him to think that that moment of breaking might have hurt his father and caused him great embarrassment. And yet he used that to go on and fight his own party even at times on this issue of enhanced interrogation techniques and torture. He was. And it was, um, again, I mean, he was John Sidney McCain III. He was named after his father and his grandfather, the first two men in the history of our country to go on to become four-star admirals. And then the weight of that name and what it represented also was just part of who he was. I also think that the invitation to President George W. Bush to give this speech yes. is an important one. You mentioned torture. They disagreed about that. This was one of the toughest rivalries in American politics. It was, was a pretty tough yeah, fight. They I had. was on the other side of that, uh, you know, McCain Express right. in 2000. We thought it was going to run us over. And it, it was <laughs> you were pretty, a speechwriter. Yeah, but uh, over the years, um, McCain and uh, George W. Bush have talked on the phone quite a bit. And more, even more in the period during his illness. Um, and, about what? And well, I think about old times. Um, you know, like you know, former football players. Um, you know, that talk about old rivalries. Um, but it became very warm. I think a genuine friendship. And and Senator McCain asked uh, President Bush to give the eulogy months ago, um, as he was thinking about who he wanted as his own. Um, uh, funeral. So I think it's a sign of reconciliation in a lot of ways, a good one. 
he asked George W. Bush, he asked Barack Obama, the two men who really defeated him in his bids for the presidency. I mean, what do you... What is the message that the senator was going for in choosing those two individuals? Well, I think the message is, personally, he always moved on. I mean, he didn't live in yesterday with all of its uh, recriminations. And yet moved, President Trump... Yeah, he moved, moved on to the next stage. Um, and I think that, you know, this represents that. I mean, both of these were rivals, but these were the kind of rivals where they believed the other side was going to serve the country. Um, they had different views, but similar goals. And I think we're losing some of that. The, 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 the conflict with President Trump is interesting because from President Trump to John McCain is personal attack. He's not a hero just because he got shot down. That's the way he has gone at that. John McCain has opposed President Trump on principles. Mm -hmm. President Trump says America first. John McCain is country first. There's a real difference in that. And I think that that's, that's the way each of these politicians has approached the way they try to do their jobs, and I think it says everything about the difference between the two. And in that final memoir of John McCain, he talks a lot about what President Trump has really represented, some of those threats that he says to that country-first principle, the, the nativism he talks about, his frustration with the ability to get immigration reform through, uh, his, his frustration with the country in many ways, but he is still an optimist. He Not is an optimist, there. he's a realist, um, but I think that at his heart he is a fighter, and he's a fighter for the principles that he has believed in. I mean, this notion of fighting for a cause larger than yourself can you know, sound corny and cliched. Mm -hmm. He lived that, uh, and I think that that's why the battles that he has been engaged in, both before President Trump and currently with President Trump, flow out of the same set of principles. And, Karen, one of the things that perhaps sticks in, in the president's mind, not only the vote on health care, but also, and he writes about this in The Restless Wave, is the decision to, be, to, to receive this so-called Steele dossier when he was in Europe and to be the one who brought that to the FBI and hand it to Jim Comey. But that really was uh, Senator McCain doing the responsible thing. Um, and again, very much of a contrast with um, the meeting in Trump Tower, where, where a foreign adversary is offering the, the Trump campaign dirt on Hillary Clinton, and they take the meeting. And Senator McCain's impulse was to turn it over to law enforcement. And he writes about that. That was why he chose that, the justification for it. And yet in this environment, it is filtered as just a political choice, not one of principle here. Yeah, I mean, but so much of it, everything today is filtered through that political lens. Um, and people will, you know, there are people who take issue with John McCain for a variety of reasons. Um, and whenever there is a moment in which John McCain is in the news, those people come out to trash him. Um, but as I say, I think that the way McCain approached his life and, and approached everything he did uh, was to stand up for America, to stand up, as, as Mike said, for uh, oppressed people, for the underdog, uh, and to keep fighting and keep fighting and not, and even when losing, to get back up and keep going. Senator Flake of Arizona, when I asked him, you know, who takes up this mantle? said, oh, th there are many people who can. There is a very real question. Who takes Senator McCain's seat in Congress? And who will, in, in this upcoming primary race that's also being fought right now in Arizona, ultimately uh, take the seat that Jeff Flake is retiring from? Who literally takes the mantle? Well, I don't, I don't know that we can say that anybody can take the mantle. Someone can fill the seat. Um, but that's quite different from filling, uh, from taking the mantle, and I think that that has to be in the in the heart and soul of other people as they watch these last days in which we will be talking about John McCain day in and day out, and thinking about the example that he had. Uh, it will be it will be up to others to try to summon up some of what McCain has represented and see if they can take it on. Is it overstating things to call it the the death of romantic conservatism as somehow? Well, I do think there is a generational element. Um, I was with um, John McCain in the last days of the 1996 campaign. During 96 hours where he went straight, Bob Dole went straight. Um, the person, he was going to lose, Dole was going to lose, but the person who rode on the plane with him was John McCain. And we were at an, a uh, bowling alley at 2 a.m. 
where uh, Dole lost his voice, and McCain had to provide that voice. And the, the points he made about service and sacrifice in praising that generation brought everyone to tears. It was just extraordinary. Who has the, you know, the ability, the standing to be that voice? And I think that's an open question. And yet I think that you look at his concession speech in 2008 where he was actually mm -hmm. celebrating the moment that the country had reached, even as he's con conceding defeat. He was a remarkable man. He was, and I know we will all be watching as he is honored this week. Thank you for sharing your stories about him. And thank all of you for joining us this morning. That's it for us today. There will be continuing coverage of the life and legacy of John McCain all this week here on CBS News and on our digital network, CBSN. Until next Sunday, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Arizona Republican Senator Jeff Flake, Illinois Democratic Senator Dick Durbin, and former Secretary of State John Kerry. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.